0: Before we uh, get into the word, uh, let's open up in, uh, in prayer. Dear Father, we uh, come before you. We thank you for the word that you have given us. We pray that as we, we look into it this morning, that you would speak to each one of our hearts. Thank you for how you have uh, spoken to me. We pray that uh, your word would, would dig deep into our own lives, would open us up, show us where we need to become more like your son, where we need to have his same mindset, um, and that we we would decrease. We thank you again. We pray that you'd be with those that aren't here with us today. We know they are uh, worshiping somewhere else uh, with uh, more members of the family of God. We thank you that they get to experience that. And so we worship you together uh, wherever we may be at. And uh, speak to us today, we pray. If uh, you have your Bibles this morning, um, if you look at the bulletin, it says the Good Samaritan, and then says Haggai underneath it. We're not in Haggai, um, but we are in Luke um, chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And uh, we're going to be flipping around a little bit this morning. Uh, as we dig into this passage, if uh, many of you may be familiar with the passage of the Good Samaritan um, and what he has done. And so we're going to look at this this morning because uh, of things that are going on in our nation, in our world, um, especially in our nation. Um, if you turn on your TV, if you read the morning paper, even as I read this morning about more rallies going on, more to deal with uh, the neo-Nazis, the white supremacy, the racism and everything that's going on in our world. Um, and specifically in our country, uh, there's a lot of people that are angry, there's a lot of people that are mad, uh, it affects a lot of different people, um, and it's all over the news. You can't go anywhere without looking at it, whether you're on Facebook, uh, whether you're at work talking to fa- family or friends, acquaintances, co-workers, the topic's going to come up. Um, and I'm not so concerned about what the world has to say about this topic, what I am concerned about is what God's word has to say about the topic, and he does speak about it, um, because uh, racism is uh, part of the human condition, is part of the fall, it's part of sin, uh, to feel uh, superior or better than another person, and scripture speaks against that, and that we are created by God. All of us, we all come from the same people, from Adam and Eve. After the flood, no one is family. It's not as if we are any different. We all have the same blood running through our veins. The scripture speaks about that, and it breaks down the walls and the barriers. Uh, But it teaches us how we should think. And so we're going to look this morning at the Good Samaritan, at the parable that Jesus tells this lawyer, and what it meant for the Jewish lawyer to hear it in his mindset, how he felt about certain people, and how it affected his worldview, uh, and how Jesus is greater than all of these things and shows us a better way. Um, so if you're there, if you're in uh, in Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in the beginning in verse 25. And it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. This is talking about putting Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It is a question that many of uh, the people wanted to know. Sometimes it's heartfelt, sometimes it's not. Um, If you think of uh, Nicodemus and Jesus meeting with him or um, other people, they honestly wanted to know, what can I do? But this says, he puts him to the testing, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, As Jesus' ministry, if you remember back to when we were going through the book of Mark, as Pastor Jacob was taking us through the book of Mark, we looked at the ministry of Jesus, we looked at his life, we looked at how, he came into contact with the Pharisees, with the scribes, with the religious leaders of his day, with the lawyers, and how they, they didn't much like him. They didn't much care for him. They didn't care for the message that he had. Um, and so part of their uh, concern was to try to trap Jesus. What was Jesus going to say? How can we, how can we find uh, something a little bit wrong with him so that we can get rid of him, so that we can show that he is, he is not uh, who he says he is, that he's not the son of God? And so the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him. He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? One of the things about Jesus as he's speaking and he's talking with people, he's all about the word of God. He's all about going back to the word of God, even um, Uh, Another time looking at the temptation of Christ. Um, Some of you were at camp when I preached this past summer up there talking about the the Word of God and how important it is. Jesus always went back to the Word of God. He always took the Father's words. He didn't didn't try to change it. He didn't try to uh, maneuver around it. He saw it for what it was. He lived his life by it, perfectly being obedient. Um, But he's asking this lawyer, a man who would be versed in the law, He would have read the the books of the law. He would have known the Levitical codes. He would have known all of the the 613 different laws that are written in there. Uh, And he was able to explain them. He was able to know what they meant. uh, But it doesn't necessarily mean that he knew how to live it out in his life. So Jesus said, How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And Jesus' response to him, do this and you will live. The question is, how do I inherit eternal life? What does the law say? The law says to do these things. Um, we can look back in other portions of Scripture If you were to turn uh, in your your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 22, uh, Jesus said much the same thing. Um, This is what he said regarding it. So if you were uh, to go over to Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 36 through 40, we'll see Jesus himself responds in much the same way when he was asked another time about what the Word of God says. If I can open it... Matthew 22, starting in verse 36. Teacher, again, this is a lawyer asking a question to test Jesus. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? We have all of these laws. We're following these laws. We want to know which do you hold above all the rest? Which, Which is the most important? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So all the law, the prophets can be summed up into these two things. Love the Lord your God with all of your being and love others as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you were to go back uh, into the Old Testament, into the actual law, Uh, There's two places in Scripture where uh, the Ten Commandments are given to us. Um, They're found in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 20. If you go back and you remember, Moses has been called by God to lead his people out of the land of Egypt, out of the power of Pharaoh. God is going to come in power. He's going to show them. And so he takes his people out. He keeps them safe. And so Moses is going up to the mountain. And he's going to receive the Ten Commandments from God. He's going to receive the law from him. And he's supposed to write it on two stone tablets. And so if we go back there, let's get a little refresher on what the Ten Commandments have actually said. And we'll see how um, these are summed up in Jesus' two statements. So if you go down to Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 7. We see these commandments. We see this is what the Lord requires of his people. This is what we uh, looked at this morning for the catechism. What does the Lord require? Well, when the Lord was calling the Israelites out, the Jewish nation, these are the laws that he gave them, starting in verse 7. He tells them, you shall have no other gods before me. There's only one God. There's only one name. All right. You shall have no other gods before me. There are many other nations in the world surrounding the Israelites, and they all worship many gods, whether it was the Egyptians. They have all these different numerous gods that they, they worship, that they made images of, that they said one controls the sun, one controls the night, one controls the sky, one does this, one does that. They attributed all of natural phenomena and different things to different gods, that they all had this one specific area that they were in charge of. Uh, and they had one that was over all the gods. Um, but they were all gods. But Jesus is telling them, God is telling Moses in this as he's on the mountain, and he's telling him, you shall have no other gods before me. There is no one else. He tells them, too, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in, in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God was setting them apart. In Scripture, God calls the Israelites to be holy, to be set apart, to be different than the rest of the world. What the rest of the world did was, as I said, as the Egyptians, as they saw, as they were in the land of Pharaoh and then they helped erect these things. They helped build them. They saw all these images. Um, other nations besides the Egyptians were doing the same thing. And they would make for themselves these images that they can put on a pedestal, whether it was in their homes, whether it was out on display in the land that they lived in. And they would bow down. They would serve that image, they would think that this is the representation, even Pharaoh himself being a god to them. They would bow down and worship him. And Jesus, uh, God tells them through Moses, this is not to be the case. You are not to make any likeness, anything in heaven or above or in on earth to worship. (coughs) He is a jealous God. And there is nothing that can capture the majesty, the glory of who God is. Nothing can take his place. And he doesn't want any of us to think that we, an image can take his place. There is only him. Him alone should be worship. The New Testament tells us that the true followers worship in spirit and in truth. He goes on to talk about the law. He said, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain in verse 11 for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. the fourth, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You're supposed to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy is what his word tells us. Excuse me. God is setting a precedent for them. Uh, to be like them. These first four commandments deal specifically with God. So as Jesus is telling them, all the law, the prophets can be summed up in these things. The first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body, your strength, all of those things, summing up these four points. They all have to deal with who God is, what he desires. And then the, the word, the law, goes on. If you skip down to verse 16, Goes on to talk about interactions, relationships with others. So, first is our relationship with God. It's on a vertical plane. And the second is our relationships with others, it's on the horizontal plane. So he gives instruction on that as well. Honor your mother and your father. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you. Your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. All of these deal with life lived with others in connection with other people that are here in this world. And so Jesus summed it up. The lawyer says the same thing that Jesus said. The first, love the Lord your God. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And they're good points to live by. There's nothing wrong with living your life that way. That is the way that God designed it to be. If we remember back... (laughs) To mark again, there's a, a similar encounter that Jesus had with another man. And again, we see people coming to him while he's doing his ministry, desiring to know what the truth is. Some of them, as I said, some are uh, in their desire for truth, in their quest for knowledge. Uh, it is heartfelt, it is genuine, and others could really care less. They just want to trap them. So in <clears throat> Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 17 to 31, as pastor was going through this, uh, does any of you recollect the story of the rich young ruler? He asks the same question to Jesus. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers him concerning those things, uh, and he tells the rich young ruler uh, to obey the commandments. He goes through these things. Do not murder on your mother and father. Do not steal. Don't covet anybody's property. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. All of these different things. And Jesus pretty much sums the same thing. If you do this, you will live. Uh, And in that instance, the rich young ruler said, I have done all of those things. (coughs) I have done all of those things. Is there anything else? uh, Which we think about that's pretty impressive to say I've kept I've kept the law Jesus I've kept the law I've lived my life by it to the letter of it I haven't done any of those things essentially saying "I'm, I'm pretty good I'm pretty perfect thinking about works thinking about things and Jesus says go and sell all of your possessions and he went away dismayed because he was very wealthy and he didn't want to do that it dealt with a heart issue. It dealt with um, not just uh, being obedient uh, to the law as you think you're being obedient to the law. Much like Jesus asked this lawyer, how do you read it? How do you read the law? What do you think it says? Uh, much the same way as the, the rich young ruler thinking about these things. Well, you think you've done all those. Jesus doesn't correct them, doesn't say you're wrong. You have failed in this area. You failed in this area. He just points out the heart issue that's going on him. Well, if you believe that, then here's, here's the next step. Do these things, and you will have life. And he's not telling him to do these things, and the same thing with the lawyer. He's not telling him uh, to uh, do all of these things, and you're going to earn your salvation. The main thing that Jesus is getting at is a heart issue. He's digging in. He's, trying, he's opening up people. To show them where their faults are. To show them where they fail. Where they fall short. And ultimately it's pointing to himself. And we see that in the next question that the lawyer asks. And so if you go back to Luke chapter 10. In verse 29. We look at that. It says, he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus. And who? is my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Um, as I said before, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, they're all against Jesus. He's coming in, he's preaching this message, he's opening up the word, people are understanding for him. If you remember our, our time in Mark, uh, hopefully this is coming back to you. Um, and as Luke is describing this situation that is that is. Found in Luke specifically, this parable that we're going to look at about the good Samaritan. You'll understand that this question, is, as it says, is seeking to justify himself. He wants to know who his neighbor is, not so he can um, actually inherit eternal life, not so he, but to just say that oh, I'm doing all of these things. I'm doing this law, Jesus, and so I should live, right? That's essentially what he's getting at. If, If Jesus answers my question, who my neighbor is, and I am understanding it correctly, then I should be fine. But Jesus doesn't answer it in the way that he's thinking about. Um, See what the the Pharisees and all of them, as Proverbs says, that uh, 26 verse 12, he says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? That is uh, an apt description of all the Pharisees. All the lawyers, all the scribes, in their own eyes, they're very wise. They've learned all of these things. They've tried to live by them um, the way that they wanted to live by them. But Proverbs tells us there is more hope for a fool than for him. In uh, Mark, again, in chapter 7, and this is stuck in my head from when Pastor preached it, uh, but... He's talking with the Pharisees about all these things, uh, and they don't understand, they don't listen. Uh, They're thinking that they're following the law, and uh, he says uh, they have a fine way of navigating around the scriptures. They would slither around like a snake, pretty much. They They would try to wind their way around what God's word said, much like Satan is described as a snake, and as Satan takes the word of God, he knows the word of God, but he doesn't give you the whole truth. He, just, he gives you partial truth. He gives you little, itty-bitty snippets, just as he did to Jesus in the wilderness while Jesus was fasting, and he said, well, this is what the Word of God says. No, Jesus responds, this is what the Word of God says in its entirety. Not to put your Lord God to the test, not to do these things. Satan takes the Word, he twists it, he knows it, uh, but he changes it, so it's not the Word of God anymore, it's, it's his Word. Same way that the Pharisees were navigating around the scriptures is the confrontation between uh, Jesus and them in in Mark 7 was about how they would follow the law, but they they would try to work around it. Uh, If you would uh, turn there quick, Uh, I just want to read a quick portion. So Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 6 through 9. In this encounter... Uh, the issues that they're having with Jesus revolves around traditions, revolves around the commandments, the things that they have said, this is what you need to do. They were noticing the disciples, hey, they didn't wash their hands like they were supposed to. They, didn't, they weren't clean. We do all of these things, all of these rituals. We're so holy. We're so great. And Jesus' response to them is this, and he says, he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your traditions. Essentially what it is, is they are reading the word of God, and instead of interpreting it correctly and as it should be in the way that God had desired it to be, they would, as a lawyer would, even in today's world, let's find where the loophole is. Where can we get away with something? Where can we uh, say that we're still honoring the scriptures, we're still keeping to the letter of the law, but he didn't mention this little itty-bitty portion, so we're okay, we're still good, we're still in good standing, um, but we can get away with this. And again, it's, to, it's back to the heart issue. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So this is what uh, they continually did in speaking with Jesus in every encounter. And Jesus is going to open their eyes, some of them. They will see truly who he is, and they will follow him. And others, they will just go their own way. As a rich young ruler did, dismayed that he couldn't do what he God is telling them to do. And so we get to our parable. The parables of Jesus teach a specific spiritual truth. That is the design of a parable. It is a story uh, that is crafted. Uh, It is made up. It is taking elements that people can understand, that they'd be able to identify with. Uh, But its main thrust, its main purpose is to teach a spiritual truth to the listeners. It's not talking about an actual event. Could it have happened? Absolutely. Um, Which is why it is uh, identifiable for them as Jesus is telling this parable. So the question is, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love just like I love myself? The command was to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So I must know who is my neighbor. How do I fulfill the law? I must know who my neighbor is. And so Jesus gives him this story to these hearers. So Jesus replied, a man in verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him leaving half dead. As we've been going through the scripture, we said that Jerusalem is on a plateau, it's on a hill. Uh, As we are even reading about in Mark, as we were talking about the final days of Christ, it says they were going up to Jerusalem um, because it was on a hill. Jericho sits below Jerusalem, and it's about a 17-mile stretch of land. All right. And in that 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho, there's approximately about a 3,000-foot drop. So when it, Scripture says they're going up to Jerusalem, they're walking up the mountain to go to Jerusalem, or they're going down, as the story is telling us, he's walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho, going down into the valley. And there are many places too high. There are many areas that someone might um, go to cause harm to somebody else. Um, And so Jesus is telling a very relatable story. Uh, This most likely uh, has happened many times uh, throughout history. It was even nicknamed um, for things like this occurring, talking about that the blood uh, would run in this area because people would find themselves uh, taken up by robbers who would beat them, would take all that they had. So it's a very real possibility. It's a parable that he's telling him. Um, that they would understand, that they didn't know, yeah, this could definitely happen. He fell among robbers, he stripped them, he beat him. they departed, and they left him half dead. It goes on to tell, well, who is my neighbor? It says, now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So Jesus gives this story and he gives three different characters, three different people. So you have a priest, a man who has devoted himself to God, a man who's devoted himself to the law, who should be honoring God, one who sacrifices at the temple, and it says he was going down that road. So he was just up at Jerusalem, whether he was performing his duties, whatever he was there for, he is now making his way down to Jericho. Uh, many people lived in the town of Jericho. Um, so it's another plausible area. So he's going down that road. The priest who serves God sees this man and just decides, I don't want anything to do with that. I I don't want to go near him. I'm not even going to walk on the same side that he is on. He passed by on the other side. It's as if you were walking down the street. You just saw something happen to somebody. Somebody just got robbed first. They shoved the person down. They're on the, the ground. They're hurt. So People are running away. And you just, you with today's technology, you have your phone. You can call the cops. You can do a lot of different things. But you just decide, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to have anything to do with this situation. I'm just going to walk by. I'm going to pretend I didn't even see it. And that is what this priest does. No compassion. Somebody who serves God should have compassion, should they not? And so as the, the lawyer is hearing this, as the other people are hearing this, as the, the Jesus is telling this parable to, the, the wheels are turning. The priest just decides to walk on the other side. Well, there can be a number of reasons for that. You can think it might be going through the lawyer's mind. Maybe it was because of this. No, he just served at the temple. He wasn't going. He said it's, he was left half dead. Uh, it's unclean to, to go near a dead body for a priest or whatever the case may be. Uh, there's a lot of different ways they might have parsed the law to try to get around it. But whatever the case may be, you have an injured man. And the priest who should take compassion, as the Lord takes compassion on us, decides, nope, I'm going to walk by. The same thing with the Levites. The Levite is uh, like the, the priests. They serve, uh, but they don't do the same things that the priests do for their duties. But they are helpers of the priests. They also serve. They also work at the, the temple. Uh, they also have uh, duties that they perform uh, in service uh, to the rest of the, the tribes of Israel. And so that he too, you would think, would be a man that would stop, that would help, that would think, hmm. Uh, what would Jesus do? What would would God have me do? What does does the law say that I should do? Well, the law tells me to treat my neighbor, love my neighbor as myself, uh, and all of these things. Um, A guy on the ground hurting, and I can see that he's he's not somebody I really want to help. Um, I'll just go by. He's not my neighbor. He's he's somebody else's neighbor. Not my neighbor. And then... uh, Jesus goes on to say, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, he saw him and he had compassion. Um, now, uh, I'm sure you've heard uh, from this pulpit before, but the relations between the, the Jews and the Samaritans was not a good relationship. Um, they were at odds with one another. And there's a reason why they were at odds with one another. Um I'm going to read a small portion here, and it comes from the the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary talking about uh, Samaria. And this deals with some of the timeline that we've been talking about as we've been going through uh, the prophets. And so uh, the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary says this concerning Samaria and concerning the Samaritans. It says, while the term Samaria was first identified with the city founded by Omri, Omri was the sixth king of Israel. We've been talking about the, the split that occurred uh, with the Israelites. We said that ten tribes made up the northern kingdom, and two tribes made up the southern kingdom, All right, And the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, they had their own king who served that did not come from the line of David. And then you had the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, and from there the line of David kings uh, came from. And so you had that split. So Omri is the sixth in line for the northern kingdom. He's part of the northern kings that ruled over Israel. Um, and so the city of Samaria is, was founded by him, and it soon became associated with the entire region surrounding the city, uh, the territory held by Manasseh and Ephraim, both tribes of Israel. Finally, the name Samaria became synonymous with the entire northern kingdom. And you can find that in 1 Kings chapter 13, 32. And it deals with uh, where the Samaritans come from. has to do with the fall of the northern kingdom. We said a people group came in. They conquered uh, the northern kingdom. It fell. uh, And as we've been going through the prophets, we learned of that. In 722, the northern kingdom falls. And they fell to the Assyrians. So he goes on. It says, after the Assyrian conquest, Samaria began to shrink in size. And by New Testament times, it became identified with the central region of Palestine, with Galilee to the north and Judea to the south. So the name Samaritans was identified with the Israelites of the northern kingdom, those that decided they did not want to follow the Davidic line of kings. And when the Assyrians conquered Israel, they exiled 27,290 Israelites. And this is where we get the Samaritans. So some of the exiles, the people remained in there. The Assyrians took over. They came in. And what happened? The Jews would intermarry with the Assyrians, and they became a mixed blood. And so the pure Jewish people, if you want to talk about national pride. If you want to talk about a pure bloodline. The Jews were about their bloodline, knowing exactly where they came from where they fell in line. And so to them, for these Jewish people to go intermarry with the Assyrians uh, and become known as the Samaritans as they settled in Samaria, uh, they were rejected. They were half-bloods. They were half-breeds. They were, they were not like the rest of us. And for people that thought they knew what the word of God meant, uh, they would not accept them. All right? They were told by God, even as they were taking over other nations, other kingdoms, hey, don't go and intermarry with the people that you conquer. That was part of the rules uh, and regulations. They were set apart. Their purpose was to show who God was. And the reason was because these other nations, who do they serve? They break the commandments. They don't serve the one true God. They serve many gods. What do they do? They make carven images. They make statues. They bow down. They worship. They serve them. They're not set apart as the Jewish people were called out, and so there was this rift, and the rift continues on. We've been talking about how the even in Haggai, as we just looked at uh, this past few weeks, in Haggai he talks about the rebuilding of the temple. All right, and that they when the exiles returned, uh, when they got the okay to come back, they started. They were all gung ho. They started to rebuild the temple. but Haggai comes around, and it's now 16 years later from when they stopped building the temple. And the thing was, you live in paneled houses, and yet my house lies in ruins. What are you doing? Part of the issue was that when they came back to rebuild the temple, all right, these Sumerians, uh, other people groups that had stayed, said, Hey, we want to help you. We want to help rebuild the temple. And they said, no, you're not a part of us. You're different than us. We're not going to allow you to do that. Uh, Ezra talks about that. Um, We're not going to allow you. And so there was arguing, there was fighting, and so there was more of a rift caused. And so what they decided to do, well, we can't have our own temple in Jerusalem. We're going to make our own temple. And so they made it on a different mountain. So it says this, the old antagonism between Israel to the north and Judah to the south intensified in the quarrel. This is talking about rebuilding of the temple. So the Jewish inhabitants of Samaria identified Mount Gerizim as the chosen place of God and the only center of worship, calling it the navel of the earth because of a tradition that Adam sacrificed there. He decided, hey, if we can't worship at the temple of Jerusalem, we're going to worship at Mount Gerizim. If you recall the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, she asked him this question, talking about where do we worship? All right, Our fathers say we worship at this mount, Mount Gerizim, but others say the only place to worship is Mount Jerusalem. Where do we worship? Jesus is telling her, the true worshipers will worship me in spirit and truth. It's not about this physical location. Jesus shows the better way. But this is where the animosity comes between the Jewish people and the Samarians. You want to talk about having angst against one another. They had it. And so Jesus telling a parable about a Samaritan helping a Jewish man who had been robbed and left for dead on his way to Jericho would sound very odd in the mind of this Jewish lawyer and of the other people that are listening. It was so bad. The animosity was so great that the Jews would bypass Samaria as they traveled between Galilee and Judea. All right, It was so bad that they would rather take the longer distance to go around Samaria so we didn't have to engage with them, we didn't have to look at them, we didn't have to go by them. All right? We would rather it take us a longer journey to get to Jerusalem that we would rather do that than to face them, than to see them. What is interesting is this animosity was even shown towards Jesus. If uh, you look at Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 51 to 56, uh, we see an encounter uh, with Jesus um, going up to Jerusalem, talking about the the final days, talking about going into the Holy Week. He's going back to Jerusalem um, towards the end of his ministry. So Luke chapter 9, starting verse 51, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him, but the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. They didn't worship at Jerusalem. They didn't want him coming through. They didn't want to accept him. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He doesn't follow the same God we follow. They worshiped at Mount Gerizim. So even the Samaritans showed Jesus hatred and anger. And yet here he is telling this parable about a Samaritan helping. And the disciples' response to being rejected by the Samaritans is, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That's how angry the disciples were. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. No, I don't want you to do that. And they went on to another village. All right? But this is the, the angst. This is the, the racism that exists between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. Those that were of pure blood. You can trace their lineage. And so Jesus is telling them this parable. Telling the Lord this parable. And this man is going to help. He had compassion. So in verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. (coughs) This Samaritan man didn't just simply... Bend down, check to see if it was okay. Check to make sure he was still breathing, and decide, okay, I, he's all right. He'll he'll live. He can find his own way home. Um, we don't we don't like each other anyways. He's not going to be nice. No, but he took his time. He went out of his way. Um, he took his own possessions. All right, the wine and oil that he had, he used to bandage him up. Uh, most likely, it's not like you're carrying you know, a med pack on you. So he probably cut stuff off of his own robes, whatever he was wearing, to bandage him. He decided, hey, I'll, throw, I'll even throw you on my donkey. The guy's so hurt he can't walk. He can't make it anywhere. I'm going to put him on my own animal, and I'll walk the rest of the journey down. And I'm going to put him up in the inn, and I'm going to spend my own money, my own hard-earned money. Two denarii uh, is, the, denarii is the, the Roman money. And it's about for a general laborer, for an everyday worker, it's a day's wage. And he takes two denarii, so it's two days of wages for an ordinary laborer. And he gives it to the innkeeper, and he also says, if you need more, whatever it takes. If you need more, I will pay it. What is Jesus teaching in this parable? What is he saying about the Samaritan man and his compassion? What does it say about the lawyer and his own heart? We see that in his response as Jesus asks the question in verse 36 Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which of these three do you think? I just told you the story. Who do you think was the neighbor? Who identifies? The law says, Love your neighbor as yourself. If you were in that situation, What would you want to have been done? Would you, like the priest or the Levite, go on your own way? Or was it the Samaritan who was the neighbor who followed the law, despite the fact that they might be enemies to serve him? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Doesn't even say that it was the Samaritan, just you know, the one that you said actually helped the guy out. That guy, he was he was the one. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So Jesus' first response to about inheriting eternal life, talking about the commands, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, do this, you will live. Well, who's my neighbor? Neighbor is anyone, essentially. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be your mortal enemy. When we say that Jesus came to open up our understanding of of what the word of God means. He gives us the greater understanding. When the scriptures in giving the Ten Commandments said, do not murder, do not steal, do not all of these things, Jesus said it's not even the actual act of doing these things that condemns you. It's even just the thought of these things in your heart that condemns you. That If you look at lust with a woman, you're committing adultery. If you have hatred in your heart for your brother, you're committing murder. That's how great it was. And he's saying the same thing. Your neighbor isn't just your understanding of, well, when I go back to the law, when I go back to Leviticus and it says to love my neighbor, to be kind to them, to not begrudge them, to do these things, essentially when I read it, I'm seeing it, it's talking about my own people, my people. Not other people, my people, people around me, physical neighbor, people in my city. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not what we're saying a neighbor is. We're saying a neighbor is anyone. It doesn't matter. In um, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus is giving uh, the word of, of God to the people. as He's opening up this thing. He talks about a bunch of different things, but in verse 43, he specifically deals with this mindset that my neighbor is my people group. It doesn't include people that hate me. It doesn't include people that want to do me harm. It says in verse 43 of Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Essentially, he's saying you're, if you do just that, you're just like the rest of the world. What did I call you to be? Not of this world. To be different, to be holy, to be set apart. And he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He flips the understanding of neighbor on its head for the lawyer who is listening. And his main truth coming out of this is not, okay, obey to the letter of the law, obey all these things. It's getting to the heart of the guy who is asking the question. It's getting to the heart of his hearers. It's getting to the heart of us. How do you deal with racism? How do you deal with hatred? How do you deal with people that want to do you harm? Is it even possible to do these things that you're telling us? How do do we do this to everybody? It's impossible. And the answer is it is impossible. Because we live with sin. Because we're marred by sin. Because we want what's best for us. We want what's best for me. Our hearts reveal that about ourselves. Going back to the, the story of the rich young ruler, when he went away dismayed, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, man, it is, it's hard for a wealthy man to, to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy man to get into heaven. And the disciples' response to him, well, how can anyone be saved? Jesus, what you're telling us is impossible. And Jesus tells them it is impossible by yourselves. What's not impossible is with God. With God, all things are possible. And that is the, the heart of the matter. It's not about us. It's not about what we think is right. It's not about what we think should happen. It's about what God says is right. What God says is justice. What God said is good. And when we look at everything going around in the world and we ask ourselves, how are we supposed to do these things with everything that's going on? We look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And we look at his life, we see how he lived his life and how we need to model that. And the only way to model that is if you know personally the love that he has for you. It's only by us bowing our knee, bowing our head, claiming Christ as our Lord and Savior, that these things are possible, that we can live compassionate lives, that we can be good to our neighbors, whoever that may be, that we can turn the other cheek, as Jesus said. If someone strikes you, give them your the other cheek. Strike. Let them strike that one too. It's not about retaliation. It's not about uh, getting up and being angry. It's about being Christ-like, and so if we want that in our lives, we need to first have Him in our life. And if we're struggling with these things, because we don't all of a sudden just become Christ-like, it's not as you know we get saved and all of a sudden everything we've ever done is is forgotten by God. It is, yeah, but we still have these things. We still have sin that creeps in. We still fight God we still wrestle we still struggle Uh, but are we bowing our knee are we asking for forgiveness do we see sin for what it is do we speak out against it do we show love and kindness you know in in talking about what's going on in our nation now the only thing that's gonna make any difference is the word of God really is The issue isn't that this group hates this group, this group hates this group. The issue is that we're as a whole opposed to God. And because we're opposed to God, we follow our own inclinations, our own sinful lives. And when we do that, we're children of this world, we're children of Satan, who has temporary dominion, but the only way to to get past that get past the racism, to get past uh, the lies that we're told as as we grow up or the things that we've learned is to get into the scriptures, to see what God's word says, to see how it affects the way we live our life, to see how it means, oh, well, this is an area where I know I'm, I'm struggling. God, what does your word say? God, what does your word say? Well, in here, God's word is telling us to be like Christ. To go and do likewise, to show mercy, even when we somebody doesn't deserve it. Because it's the same thing that Christ did for us. That as scripture says, While we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. If we want to be Christ like, we do it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter the skin tone, doesn't matter uh, whether you have a job or whether you don't have a job doesn't matter your status, whether you're a bigwig or whether you're just a normal everyday worker, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, it doesn't matter. All of these things that, that go on, what matters is, are we living our life for Christ? Are we dealing with the sin in our own lives? Are we taking it to God? Are we asking for Him to work? And are we asking for Him, as I even prayed in the beginning, we're we're just continuing to pray for revival. This is what our nation needs. It needs to get back to the Word of God. Let's pray. The band wants to come forward. Father, we we need you, Lord. There, there's no way around that when we look at everything that is going on even in this nation across this world we see the evil that is present we see the death and destruction that occurs we see the hatred and animosity that exists between different people groups and it's because we love our sin that's what it comes down to we love ourselves we love our sin Lord you call us You call the Israelites to to show a different way. It says Christ came to be the light of the world, to pierce the darkness. Father, help us to to be more like Christ each and every day of our lives. And the way that you speak to us today, you speak to us through your word. Father, I pray that we would be in your word, that you would speak to us as we read it, us to understand what how how it impacts our world view how, how are we to view how the world is going right now how are we to view uh, the people uh, in our nation in our city how do we to view even you know our literal neighbor how do you want us to treat them how do you want us to act around them oftentimes we're our petty oftentimes father we we fail to to follow after you and we need to be realigned with you. We need to be refocused and it only comes by reading your word, comes by praying to you, comes by your spirit moving in us. Father, help us in that endeavor. Help us to be like Christ. Give us his wisdom, his understanding, because your ways are higher than our ways. We love you. We thank you this morning for your word. We pray that you would go with us as we leave later on. In Jesus' name, amen.